Hello and welcome to Gunfighter Cast, episode 61. I'm John McGregor here with my co-host Daniel Shaw. Daniel has over 15 years of experience as a U.S. Marine infantryman, and I have over 20 years experience as a law enforcement officer. Together we have 30 years of experience as firearms instructors and 32 years of experience with concealed carry. The purpose of our show is to discuss firearms, equipment, training, and preparation as it relates to self-defense from a military, law enforcement, and civilian perspective. Welcome, Daniel. Hey, John. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excellent. So you want to uh, jump right into our first segment? Yep. We have segments. Oh, we, we got it all now. Heck Introductions, yeah. segments. This is becoming a professional podcast. Uh, we are sometimes too formal. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> all right. Yeah, segment one, we wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, or just give you some feedback from uh, episode 59 when we talked about appendix carry. And uh, some stuff I've gotten from uh, the body language when I got to interview uh, Mike George from Homeland Security Solutions Incorporated. You know, we got a little bit of feedback from those things. We had a lot on uh, episode 59 of Pinnish Carry. I want to say we appreciate all the feedback we got from that. Some was good, some was bad, some was constructive criticism. You know, we we take everything into account and uh, help move forward as instructors, podcasters, uh, trainers, you know, the whole gamut. And I uh, really appreciate a lot of your... Uh, your feedback that we got from that. Uh, John, anything you uh, want to add to that one? I mean, that pretty much covers it. I mean, I hope that uh, purpose when we're talking about that stuff and, you know, we're just giving opinions and so forth and, you know, yeah. I can I can make a recommendation and, you know, that's my opinion. If you've got a different opinion, you know, we can certainly discuss it and try working it out. But uh, again, if you don't, if you don't want to follow, uh, you know, my recommendation, certainly I'm not telling you don't do something. Just, uh, Again, something may work for you that uh, doesn't work for me. You know, I will say that um, you know I do uh, I do think the discussion was valuable at least from my perspective because it did uh, it did kind of you know I won't say, I'm not going to say I'm carrying appendix now, but uh, I'm certainly a little more uh, I think I'm a little better off with it. You know, again, m- most of my issue you know really wasn't so much with appendix carry. Uh, per se, it's, you know, and I don't want to open the, the box again, but, you know, just people, um, you know, some people out there will carry appendix and, and say that the gun's not pointed at themselves. Uh, I don't physically see how that's possible. Uh, now, is that necessarily the worst thing in the world? And can any carry system laser you at some point? Yeah, it and can. that's what we got the most of our feedback. Most of our feedback was positive. You know, yeah. most everybody was like, hey, thanks, you know, we that kind of thought about this and that. And it was you're great. And, you know, but people kept bringing up, well, you muzzle yourself with this carry position or this carry position. Not, I mean, we covered that in the show. Completely yeah. agree. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know you're know, you going to have some give and take with every method of carry. Yeah, there's going to be some lasering, some uh, muzzling that goes on. That's just where you get to, you know, decide what's what's too much and what's not enough. Or what's, a, what's a, you know, an acceptable amount for you. And uh, I also told... I'm, well, I'd interrupted you and then we started talking about all said, I'm sorry, John, yeah. go right ahead. No, keep going. I'll throw in it at the end. Because I was just going to throw out like something real short and then it ended up being Daniel Shaw and me and Long. <laughs> you know, this is the, you listen to Gunfighter Cast for our opinions and that, that was our opinion. But I am not so set in my ways. I've changed my mind on so many different things in the past, you know, few years recently. I am not opposed. I would like for my mind to be changed over this. Uh, my word is not written in stone. Uh, I'm not by any means, the authority on appendix carry. So what I'll say, uh, I asked on Facebook a few days ago, uh, what carry holster do you use for appendix carry and why? And some people gave some good holsters with some good reasons why. 
So I'm going to take that information and I'm going to decide which holster I want to get. Probably pick up a couple of them. And I'm going to carry a penis carry when I get back to the state. That's the way I'm going to carry. And I'm going to dedicate a good, uh, I'd say, two to four months of carrying appendix. So once that's done, I will be very educated through experience. And I'll be able to talk uh, about my experience with an appendix carry. And I will be, I'll tell you if I changed my mind uh, or if I did not and what I've learned from that. Uh, I'll let you guys know that. So uh, look forward to that sometime, uh, I guess, next year. Yeah. I was just going to touch on that um, it, it's in, I mean, as far as any of these carry positions, you know, with weapons of modern manufacture, I'm not concerned that the weapon's going to magically go off in the holster. I think the, the one of the comments that, uh, you know, that said things more eloquently than I did was uh, when Steve from the Power Factor was talking on the forum about how many people he's seen in competition end up putting around in the dirt in front of them because they're on the trigger too quick because they're trying to be fast. And that's kind of my only thoughts on it is, I mean, if you're carrying whatever position you're carrying in, you know, be aware that, you know, if you're suddenly find yourself in a life-threatening situation, you may get on the trigger before you plan to just, you know, under the stress of the event, trying to be fast. And, you know, my only thought is I just want to be concerned where that muzzle's pointing if that does happen. But Again, not uh, not telling anybody don't do appendix carry, not saying that I will never do it because, I mean, as an instructor, I've, I've got to be up to speed on it and, you know, people are going to come to classes and, and want to carry that way. So I appreciate all the feedback because it, you know, allows me, I think, to better explain the uh, advantages and disadvantages. Adding to what you're saying about the trigger, uh, pulling the trigger quickly, whenever I do this and carry, when I get back, I am going to have a double action pistol on me. Not a striker fire. I'm talking a true double action uh, with a heavy trigger pull, heavy long trigger pull, carrying appendix. Uh, probably I'll probably use a J frame or something. Uh, is what I'm looking for. I'm looking at buying one of those anyway. Now I've got an even better excuse to go get one. So that, that's the what I'm going to do for uh, for that purpose. Don't want to have my you know short crisp Glock down there right now. Maybe once I get more comfortable with it and I've done it for a while, maybe my mind may change and I go to that. Uh, then again, it may not. I'm trying to enter this with mm-hmm. uh. An open mind, but cautious. Yes. Now, you're not saying don't carry a Glock appendix carry, are you? No, I'm just saying I'm not going to to start out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want to clear that up that, you know, none of those absolutes yep. anyway. Just opinions. Yep, there you go. Um, okay. Let's go on right. To, is, it on, is it time for segment two? Well, no, I was going to go into uh, episode 60 because uh, this was, uh, you know, one of the things that I've lost being able to you know, being a part of this show is that I don't really get to listen to it anymore so much. So it was, uh, it was kind of nice to be able to sit back and, and listen to a show and not, uh, not screw it up and get you into any trouble. Oh, okay. But, but uh, I, I thought it was a great show. And you worked, uh, you worked six hour in there too without me even being around. So that was a bonus. Yeah, I figured you'd like that. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm sipping the Kool-Aid right now. I'm sipping it. I'm not, I'm not chugging it yet. I'm just sipping a little bit. Excellent. So, were you going to talk about it, or were you just going to talk about SIG? No, just SIG. I mean, that was the important part. I, I know you had some other, you you were talking, and it was blah, 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 and stuff. No, it was, um, you know, some really uh, good information. It, and I don't remember the the instructor's name. What was his name again? Uh, Mike George. Mike, yeah. He, I mean, he brought up, a, you know, a lot of very good points. Um, you know, it's tough, because I know we were kind of looking uh, for some you know, some absolutes kind of thing. If, if somebody does this, then, you know, that's a warning sign. And, 
unfortunately, you know, with, with body language, anything, you might have indicators and, you know, several indicators may lead you to a conclusion, but any one thing on its own, really, it could be something or it could just, you know, it could just be a, a habit that person has. So, yeah, that's why it's I even before him, you know, I yeah. always say you, you see a cluster. It's there. You mm -hmm. know, you, I wish everybody could have heard him for two weeks, you know, listen to him. Just uh, he would just go off on a story and you would just be learning, like, soaking in information. This guy had so much experience you know, and so much time uh, dealing with people in law enforcement. It's just just a broad spectrum of knowledge. Very, very impressive. Really had a good time in class with him. Yeah, you could definitely tell that uh, it would it would be interesting to be in the room when you guys are referring to some of the videos and so forth, having him point out the, you know, this is what's happening, this is what, you know, if the person had seen this, this could have turned out different kind of thing. Yep. All right, we're going to take a real quick break, and we're going to come right back, and we're going to talk about our scenario that we gave a few shows ago. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. Every dollar you donate goes directly to the network. Visit gunrightsradio.com and click on the donations tab. Thank you for your support. All right, welcome back to Gunfighter Cast. Uh, as I said before, we're going to talk a little bit about our scenario that we gave. Our scenario was we're shopping for bags of chips or something, and uh, we see a guy walk up to the clerk of the store that we're in and tell him to give me your money or I'll kill you and threatens his life. Uh, we draw our weapon, identify ourselves, and tell the man to drop his weapon. He runs out the door with his weapon in hand. What do you do? And here's some feedback from people saying what they would do. And since I'm talking, I'll go ahead and take the first one. All right. Uh, this is from Dingle1911 on the Gun Rights Radio Network forum. Uh, assuming that I'm alone, which is good because I don't have a wife or children to protect, uh, although I do have to protect myself because I want to get home to them, I think in that situation I would have moved to cover if available, but most likely only concealment is available. Uh, draw my firearm and remain silent. I might not even draw depending on how I'm carrying and the cover I find. I see no reason to give verbal commands because my life has not been threatened. Uh, if I did give verbal commands and the bad guy ran away, I think I would scan and assess because the bad guy could have a buddy that I don't know about. Uh, I would not chase him. I think I would just try and be a good witness and contact the police. Yeah, that's um, very good. We had, you know, I, I think it kind of shows maybe a little of our mindset anyway when we're doing this scenario. But, you know, he makes a very good point about not, he may choose not to give verbal commands because, um, you know, he doesn't have a, a duty to protect anybody. And, right. you know, Absolutely. he's looking out. I mean, unfortunately, it, it sucks for the clerk, but, uh, you know, he's got to look out for himself above all else yeah that doesn't mean you're you know a bad guy or uh you know you you don't care about people i mean you you carry that gun to protect yourself first and foremost and uh if your tactics you choose you know may not be going to go run and save that guy behind the counter that clerk but you know you're increasing your chances of you staying alive and reducing the threat against you uh, then you still accomplish the goal, and you don't have to go to court and get sued and everything else. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, on the other side, if it looks like the bad guy is about to execute the clerk, I mean, verbal commands are always good if you can, but if there's no time for that, you know, you don't have to 
it, it's not like the old westerns where you got to call out the bad guy's name so he turns and looks at you so that you can shoot him. I mean, if he's about to, even if he goes back to, you know, the person in the scenario, if he's about to execute somebody and, you know, you can, you know, based on the your observations of what's going on, if, if that's what's happening and that's what you can articulate, you know, verbal commands are great if you can, but if you can't, you can go right to, you know, right to action if you have to. That's a good point too about his buddy, you know, not knowing if uh, he's got anybody in there. Depending on your position, you may have a few people around you and you there's no way to know if they're working with them or, or what, or just, you know, another innocent in there. There's just no way to tell right then. I think for me to give verbal commands, and I, I think I, I would. I, I want to. I don't want this clerk to get shot. I don't want someone to die while I'm standing there. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would bother me for the rest of my life when I had a gun on my side and I could do something. But that, that's me. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling anybody listening out there to do that, that you have to go save someone's life every time. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just, just. I think that I'd, I'd have a hard time looking in the mirror that night for me. So. Uh, I would probably try to say something, you know, draw my weapon, you know, hopefully my presence stops it and I can de-escalate the situation or maybe, you know, hold this guy at gunpoint or maybe he just runs out the door. I succeeded either way. You know, if he runs out the door, no one got shot. That's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what it depends on, you know, but yeah, depending on where you're at and who's around you right there, it may not be a good idea to pull your weapon out because that person standing next to you may not be as innocent as they look. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we were, kind of discussing the scenario i think the one of the big takeaways we were looking for is you know not to chase after the bad guy you know just yeah absolutely at that point it's you know anything you get involved in really is no longer a a self-defense situation if you've got to if you've got to chase him down to take action um as far as feedback that's the only one i got daniel did you get any i saw that off the forum did you get any other emails or any other feedback on that yeah here's one from ryan mercer i tell the clerk to call 911 Point my weapon system, nice, mm. uh, at the ground, <laughs> but at the ready, and observe any conveyance uh, the subject gets. Make model or any plate or info we can get. Anything you can see, he wants to you know get information about it. Be that like the last one said, uh, be a good witness uh, without leaving the store. He adds, uh, which I think is the most important thing. If he left the store, even stepping out the threshold of that store, even in the slightest, I think that would still, in a court of law, sound like he was giving chase. Uh, when the suspect is out of sight, he holsters his weapon, tell the employee to go lock the door until the police arrive. Uh, then he writes down everything that he sees or observed about the suspect uh, and everything that went on. And I think that's a great point right there, uh, writing everything down, mm-hmm. especially at that moment when you've got the high-stress situation. Uh, you're going to think you're remembering a lot of things, and then next thing you know, people are asking you questions and all this other stuff, and you're saying one thing, you can't remember, your details are changing. Being a witness is a hard thing to do. Witnesses are hard to deal with. I'm sure you could talk a whole show about dealing with witnesses and how inaccurate they are uh, at times. But yeah, writing everything down, I think that's an, an excellent point to bring up. Yeah, Ryan, um, it, the whole his whole answer was really good. He uh, he got weapon system in there. Uh, I like the use of the word conveyance as well. Uh, yep, yep. I, I think if Ryan could have worked in a shenanigan into the uh into his answer uh, i think that would have been the trifecta right there if there was a meow in there we'd have been awesome mm-hmm. if you said meow at some point <laughs> but you know back to being serious say you don't have a pen and paper well guess what everybody has out there is a cell phone and it might even be easier because your hands are shaking and you might not be able to read your handwriting again maybe i'm just going crazy and 
giving another stupid example or something. Talk on your cell phone. I've got about 20 different recording apps that I can't figure out which one I like the most on my iPhone. I can just push a button real quick and like say everything into my phone right there and have it recorded. Mm-hmm. Maybe a, a, a good thing to do. Just throwing that out there for thought. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a, uh, a real good, well-thought-out answer. So sounds like Ryan's done some mental pre-planning in his brain when it comes to this kind of stuff, which is good. And that is the goal. That's what we want to have happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, thanks, you guys, for that feedback on that. And uh, those are just a couple of them. We got sent a few more of those as well. And thank you for those who sent those in. And uh, next time we'll do a scenario, send your suggestion of what you would do in said scenario, or then said scenario, we'll go ahead and read that on the show too. Excellent. All right. So we're going to uh, go into some emails we received. we got to play some catch up here. Received uh, a lot of good emails. Uh, some of them we answered because we knew it would be a little bit to get, uh, be a little bit of time before we actually get to answer them on the show, but we're going to cover them on the show too because there's some good stuff here. Uh, first one is from Tim Swineford. Hi, Daniel and John. Uh, let's see. He talks about um, to some good things about Daniel, some good things about me. We'll skip that. We'll go right into the meat of the matter. As far as some... Wait a second. I want to hear good things uh, about me. All right. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Uh, um, as far as semi-auto handguns go, I have a Glock 17 for IDPA and a Beretta 92 FS. I'm looking to get a concealed carry weapon, and I'm leaning towards either the Glock 19 or the XDM Compact 9mm. Tim's questions for both of us are, one, are there any advantages, disadvantages of either weapon as a carry weapon? And number two, what would we recommend for an inside-the-waistband holster for these two? And that's from Tim. Basically, I suggested the 6-hour P229, which was not on his (laughs) list, but uh, I was just kidding about that. Um, I told him I would pick the Glock 19 over the XDM. I mean, they're both great guns, but the fact that, uh, you know, one of the factors for me was the fact he's already got a Glock 17. So he's already got magazines that will work in the 19. Um, so mag carriers will work. Uh, a lot of holsters that fit the 17 will also fit the 19. Uh, as far as advantages and disadvantages, the only real disadvantage that I've come across, and I haven't I think I've shot an XDM once or something. I haven't spent a lot of time behind them myself, but something I've seen in class, um, people that run in the XDMs, is that apparently you need to disengage uh, the grip safety to cycle the slide. And what I've seen is sometimes when people are trying to lock the slide to the rear, they're shifting their grip to do that. They're having a hard time keeping that pressed and, uh, and racking the slide. Not a big deal, and as you you know, you train with it, you can figure out how to do it. But that was like the only, the only real disadvantage I could find to either system. And like I said, it's not a major advantage. So I told him uh, I would stick with the Glock 19. And for the holster, I uh, threw out a plug to uh, Jason Christensen over at Concealment Solutions. I told him uh, Black Mamba CE would be my recommendation for an inside the waistband holster. Daniel, anything uh, from you? Yeah, I replied to him and uh, I told him basically the same thing, and he came back and said, "I knew you would say get the Glock 19," and uh, <laughs> you know, obviously. But you know, I, I've, I've talked about SIG or uh, XDs and stuff in the past. I don't hate them. You know, I, I've I've never shot an XDM. I've shot a few different XDs, and they're good guns, man. They really are. Mm-hmm. It, whichever one he went with, I don't think he'd be going wrong. I think he'd be completely happy with either one he got. 
But I think you brought up the biggest point. He's already got the Glock 17. The Glock 19 is the same magazines and everything. It's great. And he also says he uses that Glock 17 for IDPA. That would mean that his concealed carry gun uh, is the one that he would have on his side the rest of the time. And he's already very, very familiar with that Glock 17, the way it functions and everything else about it. Uh, the grip coming out of the holster, everything from IDPA. And, you know, even the small details and safety that, that go along with it. The Glock 19 is a natural choice for this, just because of he's already got the 17. Yeah. I like that you have a Breda 92FS, too. I, I like the Bredas. And it's something else you can also carry. Inside the waistband holster, much as I love Jason Christensen over there at uh, Concealment Solutions, I do not have a Black Mamba holster, but I do have a Crossbreed Super Tuck, which I love. And I think you would not go wrong with either one of those choices, uh, the Concealment Solution or the Crossbreed Super Tuck. I think they're both excellent holsters and both on par with each other. So uh, whichever one you went with, I think you'd be completely happy with that as well. And there's my answer. And uh, just one more thing. Tim had um, kind of given, after we gave our email answers, he had pointed out uh, something I didn't know. But apparently if you're competing in IDPA with the Glock 17, and for whatever reason it goes down, you can finish with the Glock 19 without any penalty. So he found that. Uh, he ultimately ended up going with a Glock 19, and, and that was something else that entered his thought process. Awesome. You know, it's always interesting the choices people make for those reasons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I didn't know that. No. That's, uh, that's cool. Yeah, that's good. You know, that Glock 19 is tried and true. You know, we, we know that's a great concealed carry gun. We mm-hmm. know it is. And uh, for anyone else who's uh, keeping score at home, he also ultimately went with uh, the Concealment Solutions holster. So concealment, Excellent. Concealment Solutions and a Glock 19. How can you go wrong? Jason, send us gear. Send us money. <laughs> you owe us. We gave you another customer. Yeah, you need another sponsorship. Uh, you're not sponsoring enough podcasts. Right <laughs> yeah. You know what? He's a smart guy, though, man. Tapping into podcasts. Probably sponsor people for not too much money. or You know, that's it's an awesome idea, man. You know, getting in there. I don't blame it all. Uh, Jason's an awesome guy. Got to hang out with him, you know, last year. And I, I love sending business his way. Just a all-around great dude. Yeah, definitely. I haven't um, – I've been – Send us some emails back and forth. I've got a couple potential uh, purchases myself that I haven't pulled the trigger on to uh, make yet, but soon enough. Uh, and we got another one, right? Uh, I do. Next uh, email is from Lee Wedlake. Uh, Lee Wedlake is actually a podcaster himself. Uh, I met him at uh, one of my classes I taught, and I actually recognized him by his voice. Uh, but he does a uh, podcast on American Kempo. And uh, if you want to listen to his podcast, um, go to www.wedlake, W-E-D-L-A-K-E, KenpoTV.com. I'll throw a link of that up on, uh, on the show notes, too, so you can just click it and check it out. Excellent. Uh, his question had absolutely nothing to do with American Kempo. Uh, he asked me if I had any recommendations on a home defense shotgun. Well, that's and good because I don't know anything about American Kempo. Oh, good. I was going to say nothing about home defense shotguns. I was going to let you go first with this answer. Home defense shotguns. Oh, you want to go ahead and read it? I'm sorry. And I'll just read it with you. Oh, I just basically uh, got any recommendation for a home defense shotgun. I was going to let you give your answer first. Oh, that is all he said, actually, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> got any recommendation for a home defense shotgun? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, I like the short and sweet email. That's cool. Yeah. You know, 
how much money do you want to spend? That, that would be my first question. That may not be everybody's first question, but that'd be my first question. If you got a $2,000 budget and you're going to shoot birds and you're going to go deer hunting with it, you know, there's a few options out there where you can buy different barrels and, you know, have a, a slug barrel and then, you know, your regular barrel and everything else. If you want to do that route, kind of lump something all into one. So it's not just a home defense shotgun all the time, but it's always there when you need it. Uh, you can go really high speed. Uh, if it's not just going to sit in the closet and uh, get you a, uh, you know, one of the one of the guns I like a lot, the Benelli uh, M4 or what we call the M1014. Uh, but if you want to go a little bit cheaper, you could buy a double barrel shotgun. Uh, and that would probably serve you very, very well. Uh, definitely not as good as what a pump or automatic would just because of how many rounds you'll have in there. I think anybody that trains and shoots a shotgun pretty often uh, in tactical type scenarios realizes how fast they run out of ammunition and how difficult it is over long periods of time to keep that thing full of rounds and you know keep putting accurate shots on target. It's a lot of work running a shotgun. There's a lot of small little things that you have to do that, that make things a little bit more complicated. It takes a lot of practice. Double barrel, very simple. Pull triggers, go boom. Uh, you can hose clamp a light to it if you want to. Uh, there's a lot of different options like that. I think uh, anything for home defense, uh, shotgun-wise, some people will say you shouldn't have a light on your gun. I can go either way on that. I, I think I like to have a light on my gun because then I'll get to see the contrast of my sights and put it on there. Uh, having a light on the gun, I think it's a, a necessity. Even if you're down at the alert or a little ready, you can still not be pointing at someone and still have a flood of light on them so you can identify them properly. Uh, so that'd be one thing I would definitely think about is having a light on there. Uh, Mossberg 500, one of my favorite guns ever. Uh, Remington 870, excellent choices. The shotgun that I'm looking at the most right now is a Mossberg 930 SPX. Uh, that's going to offer you good round capacity in the magazine tube, and it's going to be fire as fast as you can pull the trigger. And there's tons of accessories out there for it. Uh, so, you know, that, that's probably the way I would run. Uh, you definitely put more thought into it than I did uh, with the uh, talking about, you know, if it's going to be for other purposes and so forth. That's a pretty good point. I really didn't even, didn't even consider that. I just went home defense shotgun. And I just pretty much went short answer. Uh, I would go with a... Uh, I didn't put thought into it, man. That was Gunfighter Cast style. You said the question. I read it and started talking, man. That it's just, uh, it's just you're, you're just that good, apparently. That's it, man. That's it. Yes, I'm going, I'm going pro. I'm still learning, so I just uh, went right to. Uh, I suggested an 18 inch 870. Uh, I used to have a uh, a 590 A1 20 inch extended mag, and I I just found the thing was built like a tank, but uh, it was like carrying around a tank. So I think I'd go for something a little lighter. As far as, uh, just before I forget your comment on lights, um, you know, some people, you said some people say that you shouldn't have a light on the gun. I would say you always should have a light on the gun. It's just you shouldn't always have the light on, but uh, it's always good to have it there if you need it. Um, well, you know, stay on that for just a second. You know, people are talking about, what, what I'm talking about here is I hear, I read on forums and people talking often, you don't want a light on your pistol or a light on your rifle or light on your shotgun. Because in order to look at someone, you're going to be pointing your gun at them in that stressful scenario. It could be your family member coming to visit. You didn't know they were going to show up. Or it could be, you know, anything. Mm -hmm. And and I, I get that. You know, I'm with it. But that's why, you know, we don't have to have sights on target. You know, you have to, the, these modern lights are, are not your old school mag lights that you can only see things in like a little tiny dot or a big uh, area and a dark spot in the middle. You know, those are your two options, basically. 
these lights now will basically flood a room, even if you're pointing down on the ground. So uh, it's uh, that's that's what I would I like having one on on the gun, you know. And it's it's really hard to run a shotgun and have a light in your hand. Yep, definitely, I would uh, concur with that. Uh, definitely, you know, any any of your weapon model light systems, it shouldn't be primarily designed so that uh, that you don't carry a flashlight it shouldn't attempt to replace a flashlight because again there are some other things that you may want to do with your flashlight that you don't want to have your muzzle following but yeah like you said you get get a long gun it's going to be hard to maybe run a flashlight and have a weapon up on target if you need it but uh so yeah i'm a big fan of uh the white light on the shotgun as well um i went i suggested um you know 870 just because what I'm, I kind of like the um, more of a, it's not a, it's not a pistol grip. I think they call it the tactical shotgun, but uh, you know, it's a tactical stock. It's a full stock, but it's got a pistol grip on it, and um, I just find that easier to control the shotgun. I also threw out there that he may want to consider uh, instead of you know the standard 12 gauge, maybe going to something in a 20 gauge if there are other people in the house that may be using it that. Um, you know, or, or smaller framed, uh, you know, uh, wife or children, larger, you know, older children, they may have more luck running a, a 20 gauge home defense shotgun than, than sticking with a 12. The only, well, besides ballistics, I guess the downside, if you get out of a 12, it does, uh, it does cut down on some of those options, some of those accessories. A lot of the accessories are just made for the 12 gauge platform. But uh, that's the uh, advice I gave him. I didn't, uh, again, I, for home defense, I'm a big fan of just a basic pump as opposed to something semi-auto. Yeah, you know, the, I, I love a good pump, man. It's always going to run for you. Leave it sitting there for a few years and you got to use it. It's going to work for you. Uh, the automatic should too, but, you know, there's also something to be said for the simplicity of the automatic. You know, there's how many times have you seen people on the range trying to run a pump and it's just like, it's so awkward. It just fired now. You know, mm-hmm. you can pump the shotgun, use that recoil to get it and to pump it and get it back on target. Uh, and it it takes a little bit of getting used to it, firing that thing fast. Uh, an automatic, good shooting position, get on that trigger. You don't have to worry about anything else. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to worry about not getting all the way back in the battery or not ejecting all the way. You just pull the trigger. But I'm not going to argue with you about pumps versus automatics. I like them both. Have both. There you go. Have both. Yeah. Whichever one you grab, you know, you're happy with it. One for each member of your family. Yep. All right. Uh, oh, before we go to the next email, that's something we'll throw out there a little for next for uh, in the future. It's a future show. We're going to talk a little bit more about his home defense, Wisconsin uh, in the home. You know, just taking a good safe position and do what we need to do in a kind of a, a scenario where someone's in a home invasion type scenario, or you know something similar to that. And that's something we're going to talk about uh, a little bit later on. So if you have any specific questions on that. Go ahead and email those to us, Daniel at GunfighterCast.com or John at GunfighterCast.com. So whenever we cover that in the future, we can cover yours directly. All right. right. Go ahead, John. You seem to be the email reader tonight. Sure. I will uh, keep plugging on here. Um, This is, uh, let's see, this is for both of us. Hmm. I guess when I copied it over, I didn't get the name, so I apologize to whoever's sending this to us. Uh, Just listened to episode 57, had a couple questions about the introductory comments. Apparently I commented on some training I was doing with a Remington 700 uh, and he was curious if we had any thoughts, recommendations on long range rifles like uh, 30 versus going to 300 Win Mag, 7mm Mag or 
338 Lapua. I uh, want to know if we like the Remington 700 platform or others. Uh, what features are most key on the rifle? Just in the Remington 700, there are a myriad of variants available, stock from factory, any of them you particularly like. Particularly good optics. What are the fluff features that people pay extra for but don't need? And says he scoured the forums on this, gathered lots of info, but it's always hard to tell what real basis people have for their opinions. And he, it was a two-part question. Then he also asked about night vision. Is there any decent night vision equipment out there that doesn't completely kill the wallet? Uh, he hates the idea of paying money for a POS, but I also don't have $10,000 to dump on a scope or goggles. And he also said some good things about the Mag 40 class he took last year. So... Uh, as far as, I'll do the rifle stuff first. Man, that's tough, man. That rifle thing. Yeah. That's a whole, that's a whole show. Easy. It is. Um, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of what I do, you know, I, I don't have a real choice in the matter. They, they give me a Remington 700. Uh, I don't have the option of if I want to spend my own money doing something else because it's, it's just. You know, it's all, you know, part of that, I guess, liability and so forth. It's got to be department-owned equipment. I can't modify it and so forth. Um, so that being said, I really don't have a lot of choice in what I shoot. Uh, I got to shoot a Remington 700, and I got to shoot it in 308. Are there other rifles out there? Yes. Um, you know, and I've had access to some very nice uh, SIG rifles, and I've shot them a little bit. Uh, you know, some of those things cost maybe six times the amount that, that my Remington 700 costs, but I don't spend a lot of time on them because I've got to shoot the Remington 700. So it doesn't make sense for me to to spend a lot of trigger time on a different system when it's when it's most important that I get that Remington 700 system down. Um, so I don't I don't haven't experimented with a lot of other different rifles and so forth. And as far as the caliber goes for my purposes and again you know kind of law enforcement's probably different than the military application but uh you know we're still shooting 308 and a lot of that that's not to say that that is necessarily the best round but you know when you get into you know some of these other rounds and you try getting it past your administration and you know they find out that it's going to be like three four or five bucks a round to go to one of these other rounds and, and spend all this money on a different rifle they're not likely to sign off on that so again might not be the best system out there but remington 700 and 308's a a good system yeah i guess what's and he asked kind of what's most key i think regardless of how much you spend on the rifle and what's most key is just getting some trigger time being able to shoot it you learn to shoot a you know a simple bolt action like the Remington 700, and and become a good shooter. You know eventually you can, if you get some super high expensive rifle, it might make you a better shooter. But if you are a poor shooter to begin with, and you get that super expensive rifle, it's not going to help. Uh, it's really you know you really got to learn to to operate the system, and and a lot of those things you pay extra for. It's going to be the law of diminished returns. It's not going to make you a better shooter. You really, you just need your learn to keep those, uh, you know, the crosshairs on target as you smoothly manipulate the trigger, regardless of what the weapon system is. As far as optics go, we're running um, Leupold four and a half by fourteen variables. Um, I will say that you know the my optic costs more than the rifle does, and if you 
do get yourself a, a super high speed rifle and then try and cheap out on the optics. It's kind of like you're getting a NASCAR, but you're not buying tires for it. You know, it's not gonna it's not gonna work for you. So not uh, probably not as deep of an answer as our uh, email was looking for. But uh, Daniel, you have anything else on the rifle side? Yeah, I don't know how detailed mine is. I've said before that I, I feel it in my experience level. I as compared to you know everything else I've I've done, and I, I feel like I you know can talk smart about bolt guns are something that I, I would like to learn a lot more about and, and get a lot more into and get in a community of uh you know some some precision long range shooters and and really learn a lot more and take that up a little bit higher. Uh, I have owned a, a couple of different Remington seven hundreds in various calibers. Uh, I've done a lot of reading and and you know a little bit of research on a three three eight Lapua. My brother used to have a seven millimeter mag that uh you know no he had and those are great guns. That three in a Winchester uh, Magnum the seven millimeter very flat shooting uh, excellent ammunition. The three three eight Lapua is basically just doing awesome things in combat, but it's incredibly expensive. Uh, some of your other rounds are getting a little bit more expensive. The 308, like you said, I'm going to back you up on that one. Uh, the 308 is just, there's so much data out there. There's so much reloading data. There's so much data compared to scopes. If you pick any kind of decent scope out there, uh, whatever optic you're going to get, and then whatever rifle you end up getting, there's data out there already that you can find on that combination in 308 that you can find for holdovers and such, which may change from time to time depending on your loads and everything else. But you're going to easily be able to identify and find those things. That's I think that's important. Uh, the 308 and the price might be a little bit cheaper for you. It might be a little bit cheaper for you to reload. And that's going to get you that more trigger time that you're going to need to be good with that. Uh, a question that I would ask is, uh, what are you going to use it for? Are you shooting deer? Uh, are you shooting larger game? Are you just using it for precision, for killing zombies at a long range when the zombie apocalypse happens? Or are you going to compete in long range uh, you know, precision competition? Uh, you definitely can't cheap out on the scope, like you said. Can't do that. You need to not cheap out on your mounts either. Make sure you get good mounts uh, to mount that optic onto your gun. Uh, I would, if I were to buy a uh, Remington 700 or you know some other type of rifle out there, I would definitely go with either, depending on how much how rich I was at the time, uh, which is most likely going to be an HS Precision stock. Uh, the McMillan stocks are a little bit pricey. Very nice. That's what we have on our M40s that we use. Uh, in the Marine Corps and the sniper community, uh, awesome stock. And but their HS Precision is very similar, which is you're not going to go wrong with that one either. Uh, you want to make sure that you've uh, you know got some good bedding in there, whether you're going with glass bedding or aluminum pillar. Uh, it's going to help you out, increase your accuracy, have everything fit uh, a little bit tighter in there. So go ahead and make sure that's done, and you know read a little bit about proper care and maintenance of that type of bedding that you use, so you don't deteriorate that bedding over time. You know. I would say, when I say picking out an optic, I know people buy optics all the time that just have crosshairs in them. I want something for references in my optic, uh, whether it's some type of stadia lines or something, not just crosshairs. I prefer uh, either mill dot or a tactical milling reticle. That way I can mill targets. And what that allows me to do is I may not have a rangefinder with me. I may not have time to pull out my rangefinder, unshoulder my weapon, get the range, uh, or have a spotter next to me that I can be like on Hollywood and say, range me. You know, you don't always have those options. If you have a milled op target and you can do a little bit of math, you can mill your target just by putting your scope on your target, guesstimating the distance between shoulder to shoulder of the human body being approximately 40 inches uh, or something like that. Then you're going to measure by how many mill dots are covering that 
and uh, I'll, get, I'll put a link to a website that shows you how to do that a little bit better than me explaining it right now. And I talked about that in an earlier episode when I was talking about range estimation. I talked about milling a target. I think that adds a huge benefit to you. To you, you just put that on the target. You know your range. Now you know which holdover you need for that range because if your bullet drop, or you can go ahead and put that sight adjustment for whatever your scope data is that you may have on your butt stocker in a data book near you. Uh, you can go ahead and put that on the weapon and, and get that precision shot very quickly. Uh, those are some things I would think about uh, as far as optics. Uh, the one I'm most familiar with is a Leopold Mark IV. I really like that optic. Uh, there's plenty of other good ones out there. I think that's a good midpoint. Uh, you're going to get a great optic with lots of information out there on the optic for you know a decent price. You're not going to have to pay you know four thousand dollars for a scope that may or may not be worth that. And that's pretty much uh, pretty much what I got. Yeah, the only th- other thing is you were talking, I was uh, thinking about the gun dude. Stan is uh, currently working with Crusader Weaponry. He's getting himself a semi-auto 308 built, an AR-10. So might be worth uh, keeping in touch with them, see how that build goes. Because it sounds like uh, last he was talking, he was putting a 24-inch barrel, I think. Although he keeps changing his mind, I guess. But uh sounds like he's going for some kind of accuracy build on that if he's going for a barrel that long. So... Uh, that might be, uh, you know, follow that, see uh, see how that works out for him as well, another option. Yeah, that's why one of my questions would have been, what are you going to use it for? Yeah. If you're doing those long-range competitions, you're going to need a bolt gun. But if you want to be able to hit man-sized targets at 800 yards consistently, I would choose a, a semi-auto. You know, we're, 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 they've, they're, you know, either an M14 or M1A type or, a, uh, you know, an AR-10-ish type platform. Uh, just because you don't have to take your eye out of the scope and manipulate the bolt, you know you're going to put rapid shots on target uh, in rapid succession, and uh, it all depends on what you want to use it for, what your application is, and it's a lot of fun out there here in Dings with the semi-automatic rifle, just wearing it out at a long range. You know, you shoot a few times, or you shoot three times, and you hear three dings. They come back to you. It's pretty awesome. Would you? Uh, you have anything on the night vision side? I've really. Um... I have no knowledge of what's out there on the civilian side. Everything I know is uh, pretty much big bucks. You know, off the top of my head here, um, I've used a lot of night vision, a lot of different types, uh, from thermals to the latest generation of what we have out there in the supply system uh, in the Marine Corps. You know, my favorite optic to use is uh, AMPVS-14. It's a monocular. I put it over my non-firing eye. Uh, I can pull it down over through my helmet mount or whatever. That's great. You can take this thing off. It comes with an adapter that you can put uh, in in front of your or behind your uh, your EOTech or whatever you're using to make that optic then night vision capable because you're looking straight through it, uh, which is great. They'll also be compatible with the aim points as well. To get one for you know a decent price, look at Optics Planet. You might be able to find some Generation Two stuff that's not so horrible and, and may do uh, what you want it to do. If I were you. I'd wait 10 years till the Generation 3 stuff's cheap and then go buy some Generation 3 stuff. Uh, I may not be saying this right. I'm, I'm almost positive it's Generation 3. Uh, that's the, I mean, there's newer stuff out now, but uh, I know the Generation 3 stuff's pretty good. So, um, yeah, hopefully that stuff comes down. I'd like to get a good, good, good night vision optic, too. So if you happen to find one that works well for a good price uh, and it's specifically in a monocular form, which is what I prefer, uh, let me know because uh, I wouldn't mind having one, too. That's pretty much what I got on that. All right, uh, let's see. Looks like uh, we've got at least one more email we're going to cover. Let's see. Did This uh, This is uh, David from Wisco. Basically what it, uh, he's talking about, several forums, he's seen that the three, uh, 30-odd-six is the best gun for hunting deer. 
Uh, he talks about um, shot placement, his preferred shot placement, heart and lungs. In Wisconsin, we can hunt deer with a 22 caliber rifle or pistol. If I were to hunt deer with a 223 or 556, would this be humane? You mentioned that the 556 round has served you well in combat. Uh, what's the difference between a deer and a human being that allows a deer to cover such distance after being shot with a thirty odd six, but humans fall with a five five six? Um, you know, I meant to, I remember reading this, and I meant to research it a little bit before answering it, but well, it's never stopped us before. Yeah, true, true. Might as well do this again. You know, what's the difference between uh, a deer and a human? I do. If if you're out walking in the woods and you hear a branch break. Do you immediately stop and turn and look at that branch area where it was at and then stick your tail up in the air and take off running immediately? At any sign of predator, do we immediately just run? Basically, there's no, there's not, I mean, I wouldn't say there's no, but the fight or flight reaction uh, between that animal and human beings uh, is a little bit different. You know, we have all these things that come in, like pride and everything else. Um, this animal, you know, they hear something, oh, there could be a threat. I'm usually always safe in this area, but I just heard a click. I heard something that sounded kind of funny that wasn't normal. That was an anomaly. I'm going to run away from the anomaly as fast as I can with my little white tail up in the air. You know, and I think they get that a little bit. And I know you shoot an animal when it's running or something, your meat may taste a little bit funny because adrenaline running through it and stuff. I'm not a deer hunter. I used to back in my high school days. I haven't, haven't been deer hunting in many years. And I was very, very unsuccessful. I've shot one deer and killed another one once. And that's it. Uh, not the, the greatest hunter out there. That, those, that's what, off the top of my head, is what I thought of the difference. I wanted to, to research a little bit more and, and get into a little bit more of why those deer, deer end up running and living longer. Uh, hopefully you can elaborate on that a little bit, John. Maybe you did the research that I should have done. Oh no, I didn't do any research, but uh, I, I think you're. I mean, I think you're on to what I was going to say. Is kind of my short answer, kind of build on what you said. Is you know when you think about, it, just like you said, when when the deer is startled, the deer runs. Think about what do we do when we're startled? We tend to kind of hunker down, and I think the largest thing is the deer doesn't watch movies or tv the deer doesn't know that he's supposed to be dead because he's been shot so he just keeps going whereas you know we've been conditioned you know how many how many times have you seen somebody get shot and fall to the ground probably not a whole lot of times maybe in reality but in tv movies video games that's what we've seen that's what that's what the brain is playing back in the head when something happens so I think that is a factor as well. You get the fight or flight, and I think you've also got the uh, the conditioning that humans receive that uh, the deer don't. Those you know, that's talked a little bit about in uh, I've got it in a PDF. It was done in the early '90s by the FBI, uh, talking about gunshot wounds to the body and how people react. And that is actually they found that that was a condition. There was times when people thought they had been shot, but they hadn't. But they fell down to die, mm-hmm. thinking and and even went like fell back. Like they just got blown back like they see people getting shot with shotguns on TV. And they hadn't even been hit. And this stuff's on video and stuff. And just, just their, their mind's conditioned response was, oh, this is what I have to do. And that, that's, that's interesting stuff. It really is. Yeah. So to continue his email, he talks about, um, let's see, he talks about he's purchasing, he's contemplating purchasing an AR. Oh, we, we didn't, we didn't let, let's finish this. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. we, we failed to answer your main question in here. 
Do oh. we think it would be would it be humane? Absolutely, man. You plenty humane. Go go shoot him with a two twenty three or five five six, whatever. I think it'd be fine. Uh, the last time I went deer hunting, I used a twenty two two fifty. Didn't see a deer, but I planned on shooting him in the head because that's all that my buddy had left. So I was like, yeah, I'll take that. Whatever, let's go. And but I, that doesn't make it, you know, <laughs> I guess great because I did it. But uh, I don't think it'd be inhumane at all. I mean, two twenty three. If anything, you know, you're you're killing an animal roughly the same weight and similar size as a human being. These are rounds that are, you know, acceptable by Geneva Convention and NATO and everything else for actual humane killing of humans. Uh, so uh, I think it'd be just fine to use that two twenty three or five five six. People do it all the time. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I would just, uh, I mean, he specifically mentions that he can do that in Wisconsin. Um, I would uh, give the disclaimer, you know, check with your local fish and game or, you know, whoever controls your hunting laws in your state to make sure uh, that that is, in fact, a legal cartridge to use for deer hunting. Anyway, just so that we don't get sued or get all kinds of emails that we can't do that in our state. Because I don't think yeah. that's uh, universal. I think some states... Uh, Fact, yeah, I think some of them even well don't even allow magazine a certain magazine capacity. Yeah, and such. I think those are kind of coming to play in different areas as well. Check with your local laws and so forth. Um, he did have a kind of a follow up question. If uh, unless are you good with that? We'll go on to yep. the next follow up. Oh, yeah. uh, he says, "How come hunters and snipers never double tap or do the Mozambique drill? Uh, are such drills solely for close encounters? What distance? I'd be surprised if I could double tap a laptop with a fifteen at 15 feet with a handgun. I'm not sure what the laptop did to you, but um, I mean, as far as uh, how come hunters and snipers never double tap, I, I think the double tap is something, you know, to deal with the uh, the deficiencies in handgun calibers and so forth. You want, you may need more than one round. Uh, you get a good hit with a rifle round, and you're probably not going to need another hit to the body or whatnot. So as far as, you know, snipers, you know, we, we've never done two to the body, one to the head. Uh, pretty much, again, it depends on the application. Law enforcement, we're, if we have to shoot somebody, it's probably because we have to stop what they're doing immediately. Um, so in that case, you know, we train headshots um, just because we need to basically disconnect the computer and, and shut that person down before they can pull a trigger or do something. Uh, the military application is a little different. I mean, if if you're you see a bad guy carrying a rifle at a thousand yards, a body shot is is fine. You know, you don't have to necessarily immediately stop what he's doing, but he's an enemy combatant, and you know, you you can take the shot. Um, but I mean, as far as hunters, uh, I would suspect the reason hunters aren't taking headshots is because the you know you had mentioned he had mentioned in his email how earlier how he's shooting at heart and lungs heart and lungs are a lot bigger target than the typical cranial vault on a, on a deer or something so i think it's just a question of going to the target area you're gonna have the most success with yeah well we have to think a little bit or be careful a little bit about terminology here uh a double tap with a pistol this is where i go and train to do double taps double tap being i find my sights put them on target i am used to the recoil and my position and the way I hold this weapon, and I know that my sights are back on target, settled, and now I'm hitting the trigger again without even really referencing the sight, which is very close to what I would call a hammer pair uh, with a uh, carbine, where you get one sight picture, and a hammer pair, you're getting one sight picture, and you're just pressing that trigger twice as fast as you can. With the pistol, 
depending on your position, there may be, and in the way you shoot and your caliber, recoil, all that, may need to, you know, get used to the way you shoot and where you know that, you know, okay, I've absorbed recoil enough at this point. Now I can get on my trigger again. I know it's going to be there. I don't want to make it sound like that second shot's almost point shooting, but uh, you still reference your sights the first time. You know you're still on the target somewhere. You have acceptable uh, sight picture from that first round, and you've I've got my arm out absorbing recoil right now. If you guys can see that, um, oh yeah, and it's my left arm too. And I'm also using the uh, uh, McMillan Cant. You just don't want to get you know caught up in that uh, Mozambique drill. This is different than what you know we would call a failure drill. A failure drill being uh, depending on my distance to the target, I may use a control pair or a hammer pair. Hammer pair being what I just talked about with the rifle. Uh, control pair being I get my sights twice. Front sight post, center rear sight on target or acceptable minimum amount of sight necessary to hit this target. Pull the trigger. Absorb recoil right back on target. Everything's good. Again, looks just like it did the first time. Bang. Uh, that's a control pair. A Mozambique drill should be done with a hammer pair. This is a closer range thing. I'd say 20, 20 yards and in. A hammer pair followed by an immediate transition to the head an immediate transition to it where uh, a failure drill would be we fire two shots and then we're going to transition to an alternate aiming point which is most likely going to be the head uh, so we'll go to that and that's after we see that we had either some type of ballistic failure uh, maybe they were in body armor maybe we missed uh, maybe we hit them but they're still trying to fight and now we can hit them in the head head you touched on a little bit heads are hard to hit they're tough. They look around all over the place. They move. The body always moves. Uh, they're they're hard to hit heads. Uh, that's why we our snipers shoot center of mass. Now they all want to get that headshot. That's just the way it is. But center of mass, whatever mass you can see, uh, is you know that's the biggest part of their body. They can see. Aim for the center of it. That's going to decrease your margin for error. It's going to increase the likelihood of your round hitting. And you're talking about a 308 ish type round. It's going to be devastating. That's that, that rifle round is extremely devastating, much more devastating than that pistol, which we may need to use different engagement techniques with a pistol than we would that rifle because of the least or the less devastating uh, the pistol is because it's just not shooting someone with a 9mm twice isn't like shooting someone in the same spot with a 308. A 308's, like I said, devastating. Another thing with, with the, these different drills while we're on the engagement techniques, or while I am, I guess, Shooting the pelvic region. I used to be against it. I used to think, oh, this is, they're just making it easy. This pelvic girdle is just way too big for that alternate aiming point for a Mozambique drill or for a, uh, a failure to stop drill. And But then, you know, in the past couple of years, I've kind of changed my mind on that. Uh, shooting the pelvis is an awesome spot to hit because their body starts to fall. And then those rounds that you're firing at them are crossing through their upper chest area. Uh, and they're immobilized. Now the head just became much easier to hit because it's not moving as much as it was before. So that's uh, definitely something to think about. Uh, but yeah, like you said, the reason the snipers really aren't doing it is uh, it, it's not needed you know, for our application. And I know sometimes, some applications we do want to get that uh, no more signals going through the body immediately. We want to cut them off like a light switch. And that's when that headshots you know, must be taken. Uh, other than that, you know, we just want to incapacitate the target and, and knock them down. All right, I think uh, I think that pretty much hits all of uh, David from Wisco's email question. Thanks for sending that in. A lot of good stuff there. We've got another email, but we're not going to talk about it on this show. Um, and this is a different David. David in Texas um, sent us a good email that we think is going to take a lot of time and 
contrary to, I guess, what we usually do, we're actually going to do maybe a little bit of research, but uh, uh, real good email is going to take a while, so we're going to kind of save that and maybe make it into uh, its own show topic. So with that, uh, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back with uh, something. All right, sounds good. This is Alex Addicts from the Practical Defense Podcast. I invite you to check out my new book called Practical Home Security, A Guide to Safer Urban Living. It's available now in Dead Tree Paperback, Kindle, Nook, and iTunes editions. Details and link are available from alexhaddix.com slash book. All right, welcome back. Uh, just throwing out something for you before we uh, get out of here. Uh, we're John is going to start throwing up a, uh, a clip of the week on Facebook and Google Plus for you guys to go check out. And it could be from anybody, anything. And just want to give our thoughts on it whenever it happens there and discuss it. See what you guys think about it and what's going on. Uh, you may have seen him put the first one up this past week on the forums and Google Plus and Facebook. And uh, he talk, it was uh, Rob Pincus talking about um, short-barreled 1911s. And very, very uh, informative and some good discussion going on about that. So go check that one out and look for more of those in the future. Yeah, Daniel, uh, thanks for pointing out that it's going to be my responsibility to get the video clip up. That way, if it I all made goes sure wrong, it said your name. Yep. I saw that. That was very good. Um, I did run a contest on Google. Um, I'm not going to tell you how it turned out because the whole point of the contest was for. Uh, to try and get some followers on Google+. Plus, So if you want to see what's going on over there, um, we do have a page over there. Uh, I'll have you sign up for that as well. With that, um, kind of leads us into, um, you know, some of the other stuff we're doing. Um, you know, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. And uh, we've also got a uh, forum, Gunfighter Cast forum, at uh, gunrightsradio.com. Um, just one little bit of housekeeping I want to cover with you, Daniel, if that's all right. Yeah, let's do it. Is uh, I do just um, kind of want to tease that we we've got um, we've got a major sponsor coming on to uh, to Gunfighter Castle. We're not ready to announce yet. Uh, we're in the process of getting some of uh, some of this gear. Um, I'm familiar with the gear, but I don't think, uh, I don't think Daniel, I don't think you've ever held it in your hands. So we want to make sure that, uh, we've got it in front of us. We can, once we bring these people on, we can do a, uh, an evaluation, but, uh, it is, uh, I'm, I'm real excited about it. It's definitely somebody that's, um, for what they produce, they're, they're producing top end products. So, um, looking forward to getting that stuff and, um, sharing that with the listeners as well. While we're on the sponsor thing, we've been uh, talking with a couple other people. I know some of you probably don't care about this, but if you are someone out there who is in business and you are looking for you know a little more advertisement, uh, I've said many times we were not going to take uh, just any sponsor for for you know the last couple of years. I haven't even won sponsors. I've turned down people. John and I both have to feel passionate about this gear. We know it's good stuff. We have used it, uh, and we believe in it, and uh, that's what it takes because. Uh, I pride myself and since started Gunfighter Cast in giving unbiased, this is what I think about it. I don't care if I piss you off. I don't want your money. I don't want your free gear. This is what I found to be the truth for me, and I, that's never going to change. And I feel the same way. We're not just going to take somebody's money and uh, throw something down your throat that, uh, you know, that we don't believe in ourselves. And uh, other shows, go check out them gun dudes. My uh, favorite on the Gun Rights Radio Network, 
Love those guys. Uh, you got Alex Haddix over there, uh, Practical Defense, and a lot of other good shows. Ryan Rukan over at the Gun Runner Podcast, he had me on his show uh, right before I was going for my run, which I'll talk about that in a few minutes, for the Gary Sinise Foundation, and helped me advertise that. If you enjoy listening to podcasts, this one or any other show on the Gun Rights Radio Network, go to the network, and if you can spare just a couple of dollars, or more importantly, if you can spare say $5 a month, set up a subscription. Uh, you get a little bit extra content on the forums there. Mark Vandenberg is, comes out of pocket on a monthly basis to keep the network going and keep these shows coming to you. Uh, a lot of the shows on the network uh, are funded by the network itself. Uh, not all of them, but the ones that are, we want to keep those coming out. And if you have anything to spare uh, and you enjoy these, they're all free to you all the time. You do what you can to help out the network and, and help out Mark. So he stops getting in trouble for spending all of his money with his wife. Just do what you can. Uh, the only other show, um, I mean, we listen to a bunch and probably more. I need more time in the day to listen to them all. But uh, Roadgunner Podcast, listen to him. Uh, shoot him an email. Tell him the TSA sent you. He will appreciate that. Yeah, he loves TSA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, of course, you need to join the NRA or the Second Amendment Foundation or all of the above. Uh, there's Gun Owners of America, a lot of other groups, uh, and local firearm groups in your area that are, you know, actively doing things in your area. Uh, you know, a lot of these the foundations, they don't get down to the, the meat and potatoes, and like, or the way down to the drill down to the, you know, the city and district level. But there's usually a local organization somewhere that does fight for those things. So get involved. Uh, do something. We've got to fight to maintain these rights. They're ours. They are God-given. But man sometimes tries to take them away. We have to stop that. It's up to us. And if you have any questions or comments or complaints or anything else, then send them to me or John at Daniel at GunfighterCast.com or John at GunfighterCast.com. And you can also throw it up on Facebook. Uh, We've been on Facebook quite a bit more often lately, so jump on there and come see us. That's pretty much all I got. Yeah, all right. Thanks, everyone. Until next time, be safe. And until then, GunfighterCast out.